The following is an exclusive Disruption Network production. In the heart of East Utica lies Joey's at 307. That's 307 Mohawk Street. It's where the eclectic old school meets the new school cuisine. Dine in and enjoy some amazing seafood dishes, classic Utica Italian dishes, a revolving dinner menu, and even offering catering. Call them at 315-864-3527. Joey's at 307. You're going to love it. Support for this podcast is brought to you by BallWash.com. Stay protected from odors. In itch, the essential must-have product to keep your crotch fresh. Feeling good and smelling great throughout the day and throughout your workouts. Remember, guys, the fun doesn't have to stop in the shower. Get the funk off your junk. Use the promo code members only and get 15% off all your sales. Use promo code members only for 15% off. Again, that's ballwash.com. Members only for promo code for 15% off. Looking to sell your vehicle? Contact the United Auto Wholesale Team. We'll buy it. Old or new, car, truck, SUV, van, call to set up an appointment. Then stop in, make the sale, and get instant payment. Sell your vehicle to United Auto's wholesale team. Digging the new intro. Thank you, Todd. Looks good. It's all fresh and new. Fresh new look here on EC Radio. What's happening, everybody? It is me, Z. You can follow along on all Disruption Network social media platforms. We're live on Twitch. We're live on YouTube. We're live on Facebook. And then we're going to wrap it up into a podcast that you can listen to at your leisure, at your discretion, pretty much on all freaking podcast platforms. You can find us on Amazon. You can find us on iHeartRadio, Google, Google, Stitcher, Apple, Volume. All of them. You know what I'm talking about. Shout out to the sponsors, United Auto Sales. Stop down their showroom, 4994 Commercial Drive in Yorkville. See why it's easy to do business with United. Thank you to EJA Moving Services. Check them out. If you're ready to move and relocate, hit them up, 315-335-0516, EJAMoving.com. Shout out to our good friend Matt Grabsky over at Joey's at 307. It's 307 Mohawk Street. You want a great meal this week? You want a great lunch? Revolving dinner menu. They've got amazing seafood dishes. They also do catering, now serving alcohol as well. Give them a call today, 315-864-3527. Reserve yourself a table. Shout out to Billy the Liquor Guy, Utica Coffee. Drinking some breakfast blend today. It's really good. It's making me motor mouth, as always. And shout out to Saranac, my attorney Dave Longaretta, and BallsyBallWash.com. Use promo code members only for a 15% discount. Get yourself some hygiene for your groin area. Anthony DeCito, how do you feel like you should use some nut rub or ball wash you know, or any of the hygiene? Once, every once in a while, it depends on how my Saturday night goes. Usually, that's about. <laughs> I think I think I think the world could use some more ball wash. I think so too, man. Honestly, I 100 percent agree. If the people would just clean themselves a little bit more and more, each yeah, day. I, it would be so much. It would be so much more enjoyable to go into Walmart. You go to Walmart. No, because <laughs> nobody uses ball wash. I stay right away. <laughs> I order on the delivery app. You you live in Rome, correct? Yeah. Do you go to the Walmart in Rome at all? No, no. It's I live um I live in East Rome, so I live way on the other side of the city. I mean, if I need something in a pinch and I happen to be that way, yeah. I'll go in. But um, have you ever talked to Peter Leonard? About yeah. The Walmart in Rome. Yeah. Yeah. It's night. It's like Night of the Living Dead. It is over there, and it and more so at nighttime, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Huh. Yeah, I, I want to just go and check it out. I've seen a few Stephen King movies that I think may have uh, been inspired by the Rome Walmart. Come to think of it, because there's some, there's a lot of material there to to work with. Stephen King's got ties to the area. Does he really? Okay, so here I'm going to tell you tell you a quick little story here. Our good friend Bob Aquaviva he used to own Rock Rock Studios back in the day. I can't remember what band. He had some band come in and record for like a week. And uh, they brought this quiet little guy with him, short little glasses, and uh, didn't say two words. And he pretty much sat out back Ock Rock Studios and watched people come in, in and out of the house, in and out of the building, which was... Uh, then known as the Hunter House, which is now known as the Hotel Utica. Oh, okay. And because it, it was what, what had happened was when all these um, psychiatric centers closed and they kind of kicked everybody out to the streets, the Hunter House was one of these 
buildings that would absorb some of those tenants. And, uh, I mean, there was some really kooky people coming in and out of the Hunter house. And Stephen King sat back there and took notes and wrote and wrote and wrote. And uh, I don't know what book came out of that. But uh, he has mentioned Utica and upstate New York in a few of his books. And what did he say? Like, Exit 31 is the gateway to hell. Was something, something like that, yeah. yeah. There was, I mean, that kind of makes sense. That's a true story, though. I'm going to actually have to, like, read about that after, because that's the first time I've ever heard about that. And, I mean, I love Stephen King's books. Bob Aquaviva was on this podcast talking about it. He's been on a, a few times. And uh, back, probably, man, right in the beginning of the pandemic, I think he was on talking about that. And I can't remember what band, but Stephen King was friends with this band that came in to record with him. And uh, he would just sit out back and take notes. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to definitely check into that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, especially when I... Well, see, now I'm kind of wondering, like, if there's any weird stuff over at Hotel... Has, has Pete ever... Pete Leonard, has he ever done anything over there? At the Hotel Utica? Yeah, because cool. if that's the same building, I would assume there's got to be some... No, now it's all corporate now. Oh, so... It, yeah, it's all corporate, so it's a... Uh, is it a Marriott or a... It's whatever it is. Double now. tree. Double or tree. Thank yeah, you. so they scared away all the uh, all the paranormal stuff in there. I doubt it. <laughs> they're just, <laughs> they're just w- hiding. At one point too, we used to do the Utica Music and Arts Fest, there was like there was a a whole level that you couldn't go on. It was just like condemned and it was just like really creepy and stuff like that. Wow. Well, I don't know how it is now. I'm sure with corporate dollars they've really fixed that building up a lot. Yeah. I yeah. haven't been in there. I don't know. That would be that would be pretty cool to find it's out. It's a great idea. We should get Peter on that. Yeah. Get him to the top floor. <laughs> I I mean there's got to there's got to be a way that they can you got might have to sign like some safety waivers or something, but I'm telling you man, that Hotel Utica has a lot of history. Like Joe DiMaggio stayed there. Uh, I want to say Babe Ruth stayed there at one point wow. or or Babe Ruth came through the train station. I don't know the whole history, but there's a lot of history that goes on with the Hotel Utica. We I don't know if um, you mentioned about Rome. I don't know if you've ever seen that old picture. It was from probably like the 1930s. The it used to be the Grand Hotel. It was on the corner of First Street and East Stomach Street, two streets down from where I live. Yeah. Now it's uh, I can't think of what the name of the place is now, but they're they've redone it. They're all like apartments inside. It's actually pretty nice. The Grand. That's what that's what they're calling it. Um. But there was a picture from back in the day when Frank Sinatra was playing. I think it was with whoever that was. The count was it Count Basie? Count Basie. Okay, was so, his orchestra okay so whoever that orchestra was that he played with, uh-huh. they were playing in Rome and they stayed at that hotel. Wow! And there was a picture of all of them sitting out front, including Frank, really, really young, early twenties. And all the neighborhood kids and all the neighborhood guys were around him. East Rome was Little Italy mm-hmm. back then. So, you know, you could tell that they were, by looking at all the people in there, like there was a real Little Italy presence in Rome. But that picture, I mean, I've seen it in so many places, and I was always kind of surprised. I was like, I thought, you know, just people who had family that were around back then really knew about it. But there were other people in the area. They're like, oh, that's the place where Frank Sinatra was photographed in front of. Yeah. I never knew Frank was in Rome. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's a great story. Yeah, he was there. There was, um, and my grandfather was all about these people, whether it was Sinatra or Joe DiMaggio or whoever. So anytime any of these people came around, Tony Bennett was another one, you know, they were right there. And there was another picture. This is much more rare, and I think this was just a personal picture that I had. George Foreman was in town one time, and he was in front of what's now called Il Vignetto, at the time, it was the Plaza Restaurant, and my grandfather and my other um, on my mother's side went down there to see him. Somehow they got word that he was in town. He was eating somewhere down there. So my grandfather got a picture with George Foreman. He was sitting out in front, signing autographs and everything. Guy was monstrous. I mean, oh, he yeah. looked like just he just looked huge. I mean, he all, he looked big anyways, but he didn't realize how tall he was until I saw him standing next to my grandfather, who was probably about six foot, and Foreman was just towering over him. Yep. I've met Foreman before. Have you? Yeah, and he's a 
mammoth of a man. Yeah. He is. But Foreman was fighting at the Utica Odd. That might have been, was it in the mid-70s? Yes. Because uh, ABC's Wide World of Sports used to come to Utica often, believe it or not. Like, uh, it was Howard Cosell or Jim McCabe. Or, and so uh, there would be boxing events going mm-hmm. on at the Odd, and Foreman headlined it one year. I want to say it was like in the... 76 or 77. That would make sense because that was about, that looked like around the time frame of the picture. Yeah. It was mid-70s. Right on. So. Crazy, man. So much history. And Rome, I feel like, gives, gets no love. You know, I used to say, hey, if you, you know, feel bad that you're from Utica, just go to Rome. You'll feel better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no offense. But no. Rome, back in the day, when I was growing up, Rome was the place to go. Yeah. Go was... out, by JJ's, Bobby McGee's, Coleman's. Like, it was, it was a great nightlife. I used to go out and sneak out of the house and just go and hang out and party in Rome. It was it, That's where you go and pick up girls. And it's a lot of fun back in the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, until when Griffiths closed, Griffiths closed in the, in the mid-90s. And... Once Griffiths closed, everything just started slowly but surely kind of leaving. And I left the area, I want to say it was in 2011 or so. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I mean, I'm back in Rome now, but I was gone for over 10 years. So in that time frame, when I left, East Domic Street was a hotbed. There was people up and down the street walking Friday, Saturday nights. The bars were absolutely packed. Now you go down there. There's absolutely nothing. There is no place to go out in Rome that actually gets a crowd. My cousins used to own Bucky's up on Floyd Ave. You remember, remember Bucky's? Yeah, of course. Okay, so my cousins used to own that place. That place, that's like a Mexican restaurant now. So if you want to go out, if you want to have a quiet night out and you just want to have a couple drinks and not, you know, you can do that in Rome. But if you're, like, looking to actually go out and be around a lot of people and stuff, there's nothing there anymore. The town has just completely changed from it was when I was a kid. So I can just imagine how it is for people who were there during its heyday when the base was still there before urban renewal happened. Yeah, it was rocking back in the day. Yeah. And there's a lot more of a population going on. Our boys from the Uncle Louie Variety Show are checking in, and as well as our boys from Motorlord. You got to check out Motorlord, man, a great local rock metal band. I have to check them out. Yeah, they're from Utica? Yeah, they're from the area. But uh, the Uncle Louie boys are saying uh, aliens under Griffiths Air Force Base. Yes. Yes. Have you you witnessed anything being from Rome? Uh... I mean, just the people who I see at Walmart—they—they so like they, they could or could, and they, stuff. Yeah, just with yeah. the deformities. Yeah, like they maybe uh, they could be just normal people who had too many experiments done on them. But no, <laughs> I, I've heard a, I've heard a lot of stuff about that because Griffiths had all the uh, had a lot of nukes and stuff back in those days. I think they were in um, I think they were in underground silos, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. And they still have the Northeast Air Defense Sector there, so that which was heavily involved with 9-11 when those planes were coming in. But uh, everybody's always said that there's actually something underneath Griffiths that goes pretty much out to where Berkshire Bank is now, on the corner, like right next to Rome Hospital. Now, I don't know if there's any truth to that, because, you know, they're not going to tell anybody for real. And people talk, you know, and this they like to make up big... Uh, exorbitant stories. So whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. But I have definitely talked to people who saw some, who've seen weird things in the area, crop circles. Um, Matter of fact, I was just one of Pete's uh, episodes on Agent Paranormal. I was just listening to it the other night and I found out a whole bunch of stuff I didn't know about. It was some, I think Richfield Springs. They had like a big bunch of like crop circles and weird, weird stuff happening, like cattle just, Recently? Nah, probably 30 years ago, 30, 40 years ago. Huh. Um, it was the first that I'd ever heard of it, but I definitely think that there's, especially when you have an Air Force base. Oh, for sure. One that's is heavily involved with nukes and air defense as Rome was. And there's part of Rome, a part of Griffiths that if you walk on base, you could get shot. Yes, yeah, you cannot go uh, to the Northeast Air Defense Sector. You can drive by it because you pretty much have to if you're working up at, like, Family Dollar or something. Mm-hmm. But you cannot go through there. That's And I, I honestly believe that if you even start driving on that road, they're prob- you're probably on camera at all times. They're, oh, watching, I I, they're probably watching everything. Yeah. Um, and I think there's there was something on Perimeter Road that one day I was just driving around, and Perimeter Road... A lot of it is open, but you get to a point where it says you're not allowed to go any farther. Now, I don't know if that's because it's it's an active airport now or if there's stuff back there 
you know, if they had sheds that led down to stuff that were hidden way out in the field, you know, who knows? But uh, there's definitely a lot of places on the base to this day you still can't go to. Yeah. And that just makes me want to go to them more, honestly. <laughs> Our boy Danny Nappy's checking, and he says, Funzy Doe could get us on the base. <laughs> <laughs> he could get us on the base with his garbage truck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, Danny? Good to hear from you. If you guys are watching on Facebook, if you could do us a favor and click that share button. If you're watching over on YouTube, smash that like button. Subscribe to Disruption Network on YouTube. I've always been fascinated with Rome, though, because I feel like Utica kind of overshadowed it, but there's so much great history that goes on with Rome. I mean, there's a freaking revolutionary war was fought right yeah. here in our backyard, and you still have Fort Stanwyck standing up today. And do you, Have you ever taken the tour of Fort Stanwyck? When was the last time you've been inside the fort? I, I've been to the fort. Growing up, we went took field trips All the time, right? Every year. Yeah. So to me, I never go there now, and I probably don't appreciate it enough because I've grown up with it, and I've been there so many times. Mm-hmm. But um, I will say this, that whole area where Fort Stanwix is, they tore down an entire block of downtown to put that there. If you saw the old pictures, and I share them sometime on Facebook, there was old pictures of when Rome had like a real true-to-life downtown. And it was bustling. Really? I mean, it looked like, it looked like, um, it wasn't as big as Utica, but there was, you know, blocks of of businesses on the ground floor. And then you had like some apartments or offices on the upstairs floor. And it looked like a real town. Now, when you go through, it looks like patchwork, which, whatever, they had the idea. They, the, I don't know if the federal government decided that they wanted to take that property over or whatever the case was, but there's... Definitely a lot of interesting stuff at Fort Stanwix. It's just that that bay or that fort was actually much bigger, to my understanding, than what's actually preserved. So when you go there, you see this tiny little thing. But I think it was much bigger, if I'm not mistaken. And I've also heard stuff, you know, going back to like, um, you know, we were kind of talking about like paranormal stuff. I've heard that people have seen things in the fort. They've heard people whistling late at night. They've gone... There was one story I heard that somebody went into a bathroom and somebody came in. There was somebody in there dressed in like old... uh, Looked like they were doing a reenactment. And they assumed that that's what the person was there for. But then when the person left the bathroom, when they came out, I mean, either he was a real fast walker or he just vanished. Because... I mean, I and you know, any story like that, you take it with a grain of salt anyways. But it does make you think because yeah. they say that Gettysburg is incredibly haunted. Oh, for sure. So, yeah, I can imagine that Rome is too, downtown Rome there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always, uh, what, so, what, what do they say about Rome? It, area-wise, it's like the biggest in the United States? Yeah, area-wise? it's pop, uh, area-wise, it's bigger than New York City. It is. It is actually bigger than New York City area-wise. Population-wise, I mean... Population-wise, there's no population. No, there's no population. But area-wise, I mean, it's so massive. Yeah, because it has the town of Lee. I don't know if Floyd is considered part of Rome, but there's a whole other part of Rome when you go down the... Um, down like South Rome and stuff over by like where Oneida and Mohawk prison were. That's all Rome. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of rural parts of Rome too. Oh yeah. And people kind of forget that. They just think it's that small block where it's more urbanized and everything. Right. No, there's a lot more. And then you have going up like towards Lake Delta. Yeah. And Camden area. Yeah. On the other side. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a big, big area. Huge. And then, I mean, Griffiths alone could be a full on city. It's right. It so, was. Yeah. I mean, it was. I, matter of fact, I took a drive through that Woodhaven Park that they're now they're renovating it after 30 friggin' years. I just just was in the area. I just wanted to see what it looked like because now they've torn down all the houses. And I remember back when Woodstock was here and all the workers were staying in the Woodhaven houses because it was only four years removed from when the place closed down. Mm-hmm. But over the years, the grass overgrew, you know, animals were living in the houses. You you're, you know there were squatters probably living in some of them. So every single one of them was completely unsafe to live in. They were not, they couldn't possibly be renovated. They had to tear down everything. There is such a huge chunk of land with just nothing on it. If they were to tear everything down, they could put... There's so much stuff they could put there. They could put, like, a mall there. It's big enough. There's probably enough area to put something the size of Sangertown. And now they're just starting to rebuild houses and stuff, which is good to see. Yeah, that's awesome. But uh, it would take them forever to, to repopulate that area because there was just... 
go down to the end of this street, goes this way, goes this way, goes that way, go up the street. It's just blocks and blocks of empty area that used to be base housing. And there's still little vestiges of things that were there. You can still see some foundations. Yeah. Or the, you know, the trace of them every once in a while. You see like uh like one of those like pavilions or something where people probably hung out and little stuff like that that they had around. Some of that stuff is still there and I actually thought that was kind of cool just seeing that. But um yeah, it's it's sad what they let happen to that place because when they first left, I would assume that even though the those buildings weren't up to city code, they were built by the friggin' US military. Mm-hmm. Like do you really think city code is more safe than the military's code? I don't personally think so. I think that was the stupidest thing ever. Like make an exception, the military built these houses, you know, but they didn't and all that property just went to waste for 25 30 years are they slowly starting to use it slowly they have some company that's gone in i saw two houses being constructed on um i think it's gansvord ave but it's the main road that it's the main road that pretty much splits woodhaven in two so you can go left you can go right and you know there's parks on both sides but right on that main road they were starting to construct a couple houses and they were pretty far along i mean they hadn't done like the siding and stuff like that but it looked like they were actually becoming houses when i saw them and, you know, it's sad that you get excited just to see two new houses being built. But growing up in Rome all those years, getting upset about all that unused land. Motor Lord saying he remembers a Wright Park criminal getting chased through the Woodhaven back in the day. Yeah. So there was a lot of crime activity Wright Park, going on. Wright Park was pretty crazy. Wright Park was pretty much right next to Woodhaven. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think you had to go Wright Park. You went off of Floyd Ave. To get there, this is kind of stretching my memory a little bit because um, Wright Park, I think, I think that shut down when I was in my teenage years. But yeah, Wright Park was kind of—I um, don't know what it, what the equivalent would be in Utica, but in Rome for a while it was like Liberty Gardens. Mm-hmm. That was like the projects. Gotcha. Wright Park Manor, when it was still there, that was like the really rough development that they had. So, doesn't surprise me at all if there was criminals getting chased from Wright Park through Woodhaven. Or whatever the case. Did you go to Woodstock or was it? Yeah. Uh, you did go to yeah. Woodstock, yeah? Yeah. Well, I went, it's a funny story. My sister was friends with some people who were doing vending over there. So we got in for free and all we had to do was sit in the vendor's booth and sell water for $4, a friggin' bottle of water this size for $4. Did they dictate the price to you? Yeah. Oh, they did. We had nothing to do with that. I felt horrible for these people because a lot of the time I spent was in the truck. When they would come and they'd say, we need however many cases, we would hand them the cases. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting in a refrigerated truck. There were so many cases of water in those things. I mean, it's a full-on tractor trailer from back all the way to front, just water as far as you can see. And these poor bastards were dying out there in 98-degree heat, no shade or anything. I had all the water I could drink. I could get them for free. Plus, I was sitting in a refrigerated truck. But the funny story about that was the first, uh, not the first day, the second day that we got there, um, myself and my stepbrother's friend who was with us, because we were all working there together, we wanted to go and kind of check things out a little bit. So we took a walk, and Alanis Morissette was playing at the time. So we just kind of started walking up a little bit, you know, had no intention of getting as close to the stage as we did. We got so far up because this crowd started pushing in from behind us. Mm -hmm. We got sucked into where we were like five rows from the rail and you couldn't move. I mean, I was not that I'm very tall now, but even back then I was even, you know, a couple inches shorter. I couldn't even breathe. I'm way down here. I couldn't get oxygen. I was getting kind of scared. And on top of that, we have to get back to work. So... We've been gone way longer than we said that we were going to be gone, but um, that was just the way it was. We actually had to crowd surf over the rail in order to get out of there and tell them, like, we're working. You know, this was like a last-ditch thing. And part of the reason we did that was that we heard that Limp Bizkit was coming out next. And we're like, there's no way we're staying this close to the stage for Limp Bizkit because yeah, this right. place is going to turn into a friggin' madhouse. But uh, it was that was a great weekend. I The third day, I wasn't there when everything started getting out of control. But, um, you know, I saw a lot of good shows. I saw Metallica that night. I saw Dave Matthews. Um, Probably life-changing for a homeboy, right? Don't you think? Yeah. You're you're from there. You're a native. Yeah. You're right there. I mean, the the 
you really knew something was going on because one of the main arteries in the town was East Omnic Street, and I lived right off East Omnic Street. So when all the traffic was coming in, now my uncle, he's your prototypical middle-aged Italian guy, no nonsense and everything, but he's funny. He's about six foot six. So he apparently was walking down the street. He went to the grocery store or something. He comes in. My grandmother lived upstairs. So we're sitting upstairs in my grandmother's house, and he comes in. He's like, Ma, you will not believe what just happened to me. I'm walking down the street. This young girl comes by in a pickup truck. She picked her top up like this to me. <laughs> he was so shocked by this. His, his reactions and his uh, how animated he was about it was just like, all right, I think we're going to go hang out on East Domic Street now for a little while, guys. We'll catch you guys later. <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. Yeah. So, Ant, you got this book coming out. Yeah. Dawn of the Rising. Yep. So, what possessed you to write a book? <laughs> well, um, yeah, we were starting to talk. We were starting to talk about it a little bit before. So, like yeah. when I was a kid, I was always a really, I was always really good at writing, um, like stories and stuff. But th- the funny thing with me was, I always wanted to be in a band. Is going as far back as I can remember, five years old, and it all started when I got into Guns N' Roses watching MTV as a five-year-old kid. I wasn't supposed to be watching MTV. I had it on in the other room. My grandparents were, I'm just watching Welcome to the Jungle. I'm like, what is this? You know, like, this is the coolest thing I ever saw. So I became unabashedly obsessed with Guns N' Roses. But the thing I used to do is I used to study the liner notes, and I used to read the lyrics all the time. Now, I didn't know how to play any instruments. I played piano a little bit, but I didn't have the uh, patience or... You know, the motivation to sit there and learn how to play the guitar. Couldn't play the drums because my dad wasn't going to allow me to have drums in the house. So my thinking was at the time, okay, well, I'll sing. You know, if you're singing, you're you're writing lyrics probably. So I used to write these all the time from like my – when I was, you know – 10 years old, going back as far as that, all throughout my teens. Some people knew I did it. Most people really didn't. Like, my close friends knew that I did it and stuff, and my family sort of did. But this went on for years and years, and in my head, that was what I was writing. I was writing song lyrics. I wasn't writing poetry. Um, but again, I didn't, have any music, I didn't have any musical ability at the time, so there was no way to put it to create songs with it. I, you know, I would meet somebody and I'd be like, oh, hey, you know, I got all these lyrics, you know, you want to sit down and play around, but, you know, nobody, not a lot of people don't really want to create original stuff. If they're in a band, they want to do covers and stuff, so they just kind of sat around for years, and uh, during COVID, I just went on a tear, because I had nothing to do. I was sitting home, I'm writing 10, 15 of these things a day, you know, just sitting there spewing out everything as far as how upset I am with the world and how bored I am and, you know, your own personal experiences and your own traumas and stuff like that. They work their way into it and you're starting to deal with stuff of that nature. And with me, there was a lot of stuff like about spirituality and stuff. So that's coming, the name of it where it says the poetic and lyrical works of Des Arcane. Well, Des Arcane is actually me, but that's my pen name that I thought was really cool. I just didn't want to go all in and attach it as the writer. Like, that's my alter ego. Gotcha. Des, because my last name is Destito. Arcane, because I thought it sounded cool, because a lot of what I write about is of an arcane nature. So, um, anyways, during COVID, I had all these things that I had written, and I got to talking to a friend of mine. He's from Pennsylvania, and he's in a band. And I was like, yeah, man. I was like, I've been writing so many songs and all this other stuff. And he's like, you got to stop saying you're writing songs. I was like, what do you mean? He's like... Because he's like, you don't play guitar or anything. He's like, you're just writing the lyrics. He's like, now they could be songs, but in actuality, you're writing poetry. I'm like, that sounds so cheesy, though. You know, I'm a, I'm a poet, you know. But I, so I couldn't, um, I couldn't really wrap my head around that. But then he said something that was really, um, it really kind of changed my perspective on it. He said, well, who are some of your bigger, biggest influences? Obviously, Axel. Because I love Guns N' Roses. But he's like, you love Jim Morrison. You got the shirt on today. Yep. (laughs) Bob Dylan. uh, Robert Hunter from The Grateful Dead. He's like, these guys are all poets. So he's like, stop. So he's like, stop thinking of it in terms of like, that's the poetry that, you know, your English teacher taught you in seventh grade that was kind of cheesy and you really didn't care about. You know, you can be a poet and write about other stuff that, you know, speaks to you and that is kind of cool. Yeah. So 
that kind of changed my perspective on it. And at that point, I was a little bit more accepting. Now, I have a stepbrother who's always pushed me. He's like, you really need to, be, to embrace where your talents are. He's like, you're a really good writer. You've gone in all sorts of directions in your life and everything, and you've never really addressed that. You've always kind of, oh, you wanted to go to spend more time in the gym, or you wanted to go do martial arts. You wanted to go do this crazy idea or that crazy idea. He's like, but what you're actually best at is writing. And he's like, I'm, I've been trying for years to get you to see that. So he always wanted me to like write, start a blog or write a book or anything. Finally, he gave up on that. He said, this you're actually showing a lot of interest in. Now, let's say you do put a band together at some point. You have 300 plus of these things written. You're never going to be able to write songs, 300 songs. You're, only, you're almost 40 years old already. You're not going to have enough time. You might be able to sell them or something. But he's like, if you want there to be a record, you have to release these in like a large collection. He's like, so that's where you could actually go into trying to release a book. Take the ones that you like, take maybe 80, 90, 100, however many you want, come up with a collection of it, talk to a publisher. He's like, and just re release a collection of your poetry slash song lyrics. So I started thinking about that, and um, I just decided to do it because it's like, you know, you never really know what's going to happen. Now, I don't know. People could read it and think to themselves, you know, what is this? This sucks. You know, I have a lot of my friends. I can't imagine that they're very that much into poetry. Um, myself, like I said, my, my inspirations like Jim Morrison and stuff like that. I do read a lot of poetry, but it's very particular to like what my interests are. Yeah, but you did it for a creative outlet. Exactly. You know? That's what it was. It was, it was a creative outlet. So like when my stepbrother would say, well, you know, finally you're embracing it, you know, you're, doing your writing thing i said but the thing is for me it's not really so much about writing as it is the creativity and the artistic pursuit of it because there's more that i do want to do with it and this is what i was hoping was going to come from it is actually kind of happening that once people would start seeing a few of these things that i'd written because i every once in a while i'll release put one on facebook or whatever that I was hoping that I would be able to connect with actual musicians and maybe get the band thing started where I could get some like-minded people together who could create the music and we could actually do something with it. That's kind of happening little by little. Like that ball is moving a little bit, which is what I ultimately wanted to do. But in the meantime, the idea of getting this book out there, you know, for me, it's, it's not something I ever considered doing. I made the decision spur of the moment. I think I just woke up one day and said, you know what, I'm going to do it. Was it uncomfortable for you to do this? Yeah, because I never shared a lot of my stuff. Yeah. I had to really get comfortable with the idea of that because um, it's very, you're making yourself so vulnerable right. when you're sharing poetry because like poetry by nature, it's just, it's a part of you that doesn't typically get expressed. People don't typically know what your emotions are and they don't know what your thoughts are and they don't know what your feelings are. They just know what you show them. Mm -hmm. So when you actually share that kind of stuff, you're showing them something that is very, very personal to you. And if they react in a certain way, you know, it could be very, it could be devastating or whatever the case may be. So you really kind of have to learn to have thick skin as far as that goes. Oh, for sure. The, Everybody's a critic. Yeah, especially with social media. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Gives every idiot a platform. Right. And you, they don't realize it. Well, including you know, me. Nobody. <laughs> me too. Um, but you know, people will talk about stuff that, you know, thinking that their opinion matters so much. It can be something as simple as a restaurant review. Oh, I went to McDonald's and the quarter pounder was underdone. Yeah. Who cares? Right. If you went, you know, don't go back. But it, people just have such a bloviated sense of their own, uh, you know, with their own whatever it is. But. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely uncomfortable. Yeah. But I found that after I started showing it to a few people here and there, little by little, the response I was getting to it made it a lot easier because I was like, okay, well, people actually think this stuff is good. You know, I think that was my biggest concern was I didn't want for people to read and think it sucks. And I really didn't know because my eyes were pretty much the only one that was seeing it. And I judge myself so harshly. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that I write, half of it ends up in the trash can because I'm like, ah, oh, that sucks. You know, I throw it out and... You know, there might have been some, um, like a masterpiece or something that I threw out, but to my judgment, I was like, oh, that's, I don't like that. So I throw it out. But um, yeah, for sure, it was, it was uncomfortable. But I think that's something that 
it's really good for anybody to step out of your comfort zone. And oh, kind for of sure. Pu- kind of push yourself. It's the only way you can grow. Yeah, for sure. The only way. Gina wants to know if you self-published this. Yeah, I did. I used uh, Palmetto Publishing. Mm-hmm. What she's saying, anytime you put your work out there, you allow yourself to be vulnerable, but good for you, man. Thank you. Appreciate yes. that. Yeah, and uh, Motor Lord saying, fuck them. Fuck the critics. Fuck them. Right? Oh, it, we can say fuck on here? I prefer oh. that you do. Oh. <laughs> well, that changed the whole course <laughs> of this interview, brother. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, uh, I, I'm having when, another sip of my tequila now. There you go, brother. That. Yeah, sip it up, man. I'd join you, but uh, I got a meeting to attend to in, a, in about an hour, so I can't have just one. Yeah. That's my problem, you know. And it, plus, now that I'm older now too, I, I'm a lightweight now. I can't hang like I used to. I could drink a bottle of Jim Beam back in the day and go for days. And now, I, I even smell Jim Beam. I'm like done yeah. for a couple of days. You wake up the next morning and you just you hate life so oh, yeah. much. I hate it, and I don't like feeling like that anymore. I don't. I don't you either. I, I I limit myself to typically just a Saturday night. I'll get loaded. Yeah. On a Saturday night, but I can't all week because I have to be up at six in the morning to go to work. Yeah. And when I was 20 years old, I could go to work with a hangover. Mm-hmm. I can't even go to work now with a cold. So <laughs> it's nuts, man, how things have changed. Um, more on this book, though. Uh, what's the basis of, uh, around the book? Give me a, give me a little uh, book report, if you will. So if you were to take all of it in like in a collective sense, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that's personal about my own experiences and stuff. They're written through my eyes, obviously, but there's a lot of stuff that deals with spirituality, like I said. I'm really into all that new age spirituality, the esoterics, and... Fucking hippie. The, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now and then, now and then. Um, so, but I'm really into that stuff because I figured out a way that I could create almost like a... a some sort of a relationship between that and science where it made sense. I could back up a lot of these spiritual things with science, and I could also explain a lot of science with spirituality. I saw the correlations. So that interested me more because before that, I just thought this was all hippy-dippy bullshit too. Um, So as I got more into that, it kind of changed the way that I looked at the world a lot. And for me personally, it was really good because before that, I just wasn't in a good place. You know, I just I wasn't a real good person before I got into stuff like that. And I think that that tends to when you're living your life in a certain way, you might think, oh, all is well and good. But in actuality, you know, you're behaving like a piece of shit. So you're blinded to that. And then something happens, you know, which is I'm not going to go completely all in on the experience, but something happens, which really kind of jars you awake. And you're just like, wow, you know, you your eyes open to so much more. Is the answer you... LSD? Oh, I'm sorry. It was along those lines, but it... <laughs> I may have had a few conversations with the big man himself. I... <laughs> um, You'd be surprised at how much you can learn just from taking a hit of acid, right? Yes. I'm serious. Yeah, this this, this actually, this wasn't acid. Mm-hmm. I've, I mean, I've done acid. I've done mushrooms. I've pretty much, I've done anything, everything but like hard stuff. I was always very proud of that, and that's because I was afraid to do it. But psychedelics, I think, are totally misunderstood. I agree. Especially um, once I started trying them and having, like, good experiences with them. Yeah. Because I realized how much it opened my own mind and kind of allowed me to look at things in a different but much healthier way mm-hmm. about my own life and about how I behaved. So going back to the book, if you go back to, like, I would pinpoint it at 2012, 2012. Now, t- ironically, this is when the Mayans calendar supposedly said that the world was going to end. Well, obviously the world didn't end, but um, things really started changing. But a change or, of consciousness. Yes, yes, that's exactly what it was. Uh-huh. I don't think they were saying in a physical sense the world was going to end. I think that was the end of one era, the beginning of another. Now people are starting to kind of wake up. A new cycle. Yes, exactly. And if you go back to 2012 from that time until now, it started very slowly. I mean, I was kind of, I feel like I was kind of in on it on the ground floor because it was around 2013 when I started having these thoughts. But from 2012 to now, it's just exploded. It's everywhere you look. People actually, it's in the mainstream. Jim Carrey talks about it, Kundalini awakenings and stuff like that. Like Before, we've hit a different portal, right? Yes. That's, that's how I feel. Go we, ahead, continue. We've, we've reached a sense of like awareness and enlightenment where you can't go back at this point. And it's only going to get bigger. It's going to snowball because myself talking to one person 
if I have any impact on that person or, or even if I'm talking to 10 people and I only impact one person, that one person is going to go and tell people. Who's going to tell people? Who's going to tell people? And eventually the, the snowball just keeps getting bigger. And it's so easily accessible with social media. I think social media is – there's a lot of things I hate about social media, but at the same time, I think there's a lot of stuff that's great. I agree. Um, and this is one of them because I see people now – that I grew up with. I had no idea that they were into this stuff. I was already into it, but I had no idea that they were. And then once I started seeing little tiny things, it wasn't like they were pulling the curtain back and showing all of it, but there was little tiny things I would recognize. I'm like, I know where I've heard that term before. I think you're, uh, <laughs> I think you might be onto something. So I would start talking to them a little bit and I would find out that they were in on it too. It's like, oh, cool. You're in the club, you know, awesome. So, Rock that, and roll recognizes rock and roll. Yes. That's what me and Danny say. All yes. <laughs> that's, that's our little phrase to each other. But continue on. Um, so I chose, the, I chose the term Dawn of the Rising because a lot of the stuff that I write about is that awakening of consciousness attack happening in a global sense and, and within the collective. You know, not necessarily like any an individual. I mean, it is. Obviously, it takes a lot of individuals to make up the collective. But people are waking up at such a rapid pace, myself included, um, that it's almost like their consciousness is rising. You know, whether, whether, whether you want to term it consciousness or kundalini or whatever, that's rising. This is like the dawn of it because we're right here at the beginning of it. We're at the bedrock of this new age, if you want to call it like that. Um, and it's awesome to be in on the ground floor, you know, to say that we were here when it first started. I mean, yeah, a lot of the times it sucks, but you know that it's going to get better because it just, that's the way it has to work. Can't get any worse. So, right, exactly. I mean, look at 2020. I mean, Jesus. Um, so that's why I took the term Dawn of the Rising. But again, it's it's not just stuff about that. There's a lot of stuff in there that's about that. There's a couple in particular. There's one poem called Archangel's Prayer. There's another that's called Woman on the Mountain. And that was, like, really personal. But um, I think that if anybody who looks at it, who has any sort of experience with this stuff, can figure out what I'm talking about. But uh, Have you, you know. ever talked to a medium? Yeah. Have you? Yeah. And at recently or... It's been a while. Yeah. I always thought it was a bunch of nonsense Did until you? I had two psychics probably five years apart me tell me the exact same thing in detail. Wow. And I was like, you know, the one psychic that I went to, I'd never been to one before. My girlfriend at the time offered, they were, a friend of hers was having a psychic party. He's like, I don't want to do that shit, you know. She's like, no, no, no. She's like, everybody's getting readings. She's like, I'll even pay for you to get your reading. Just go have fun. There was a lot of booze at the party. As soon as they told me there was booze at the party, I was like, all right, cool, I'll go. Um, so I went up for the reading, and it was in a private room with this lady. She was in, I don't know if it was a bedroom or an office or whatever. So I go up, and as soon as she shakes my hand, she got this weird look on her face. And I kind of startled me a little bit. She's like, boy, you've seen a lot, haven't you? And I'm thinking to myself, what kind of bullshit is this? She tells this to everybody. You know, you're not fooling me yet. So I sat down, and she started telling me stuff. And <clears throat> I wasn't sold, put it that way. But she asked me if I had any questions. Now, I've always been really interested in the idea of reincarnation. I was like, is there anything you could tell me about past lives? And she said, well, I can definitely tell you that in a past life you died in a war. Vietnam, to be specific. Wow. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool because I love 60s music. You know, didn't think much more of it than that. And, you know, whatever. I didn't pay for this session. So I went back down. I started drinking again and had a good night. It was a couple of years later. I was in Florida. Got a reading from a different person. To my, I don't know how they would ever have had any connection to know that I was coming in or anything like that. The chances of that are slim to none. So I go to this reading. And again, I asked her, well, actually, I don't remember exactly how it came up, but she told me pretty much the same thing. She's like, in a past life, you died in Vietnam. Wow. And that kind of, it came out of nowhere because it wasn't like I put anything out there to where she would have picked up that I was going to have that sort of a reaction to it. But when she said that, my face probably went ghost white because I remember the first one saying, I'm like, how the hell did she know that? There was no way she could have known that the first psychic told me that. You know, so that really kind of changed my opinion of some of these people because I do think a lot of them are scam artists. Yeah, for sure. But there's some of them who are definitely legitimate. They're really tapped in. Yeah. And just from my own experiences, certain things that I've seen, whether it was um, 
you know, playing with uh, <laughs> psychedelics or just, you know, stuff naturally that you pick up on, like uh, synchronicities is a good example. I don't need to be tripping to pick up on synchronicities. If I see an 11-11 somewhere, I see a 2-2-2 or 3. I know that means something. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of tapped into that. So I could just imagine for me, somebody who doesn't really spend any time practicing it or trying to um, perfect their ability to use that, somebody who actually does, how tuned in they have to be. Because I totally believe that they they have access to that stuff. How they get there, they got to have a gift. Mm -hmm. But I think that probably anybody can get there if they actually wanted to take the time to learn how to do it, just that some people naturally are more talented than others. You got to open up that third eye. Yes, that's huge. Yeah. That's and a lot of people don't. E- a lot of people don't even know what that means mm-hmm. when you say you know you got to open your third eye. And the the fact. Well, is, explain it. All right. So the third eye. You have anybody who knows anything about yoga knows that there's several. You know, there's chakras in your body. There's your root chakra, your sacral chakra, your heart chakra, your throat chakra, your um, third eye chakra. Well, your intuition is stored in your third eye chakra. The third eye actually has a scientific term. It's called the pineal gland. And if you look at, I believe it's the eye of Horus, the Egypt, the Egyptian symbol, it's the exact same thing. It, they look exactly alike. That is that pineal gland. Um, there's, they've always tried to figure out what its actual purpose was. They really don't have a good scientific answer, but there's a lot of people who've traditionally said that that's where a person's intuition is stored. That's me. That might be where their soul resides inside of their physical body. And never heard that one before. That's I've heard that now. I mean, that's kind of, I don't really have an opinion on it one way or another, but, um, you know, when you have one of those things called, you know, the Kundalini awakening, I was talking to Pete about it a couple weeks ago. Um, there's an energy that sits dormant at the root chakra. Something wakes it up and it's, it winds its way up your spine like a serpent because kundalini is actually secrete for serpent. Um, and as it passes through, it wakes up those chakras, the heart chakra. So, you know, you're getting real emotional, the throat chakra. You're randomly telling people to go fuck themselves. You know, just you're all over the place. But when it reaches the third eye chakra, which it, it did for me, all of a sudden you have things you're picking up on things like I might think of somebody who I haven't seen in 10 years. Just randomly think of this person. You know, two minutes later, they're sending me a friend request on Facebook. Yep. Like, I haven't thought of that kid in years. Like, what? You know, I was, I mean, I was literally, I was predicting stuff before it happened. And I was noticing weird stuff around me when this would transpire, like stuff on the clock. Like, it was 11 11 or it was 222. There were things that were catching my attention that were kind of guiding me in that path. Now, at the time, I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. I just thought I cracked up. I thought my girlfriend gave me a nervous breakdown or something. So, <laughs> um, But what happens... Now, this is where I think it is really interesting. You have 33 spinal columns in the human body. As this kundalini energy climbs its way up your spine, there's 33 rungs in Jacob's ladder. So think of that story from a metaphorical sense... And when they talk about rapturing and stuff like that, are they really talking about getting pulled up into the sky? Or are they talking about kundalini awakenings? Because it seems to me <laughs> that there's, uh, if you don't take it literally, and if you take it literally, you're kind of buying into what I think is a fairy tale. I think that I think it's very easily easy to convince people of that because people tend to be sheep. And they don't question sure. official, they don't question narratives. But if you start looking into it and you start looking at all the information that's out there, when somebody says to you, well, compare that story to this story and see how metaphorically they could be the same. Allegorically, they could be the same. You know, there's a ton of, of um, things that are in the Bible that you could actually look at metaphorically and you could directly connect it to stuff in like the metaphysical studies or new age spirituality stuff like that i'm going off on a tangent but was there an um, incident that happened to you that that actually woke up your third eye was there something that just i was drinking a lot i was drinking the a alcohol lot. kicked it in i don't know <laughs> if it was the alcohol because i would think that alcohol would actually screw that up right because i would think it would calcify it but i was drinking a lot i was horribly horribly depressed my life absolutely sucked at the time i was in one of the worst places in my entire life um to feel like you're completely trapped. I was in, you know, I don't want to talk bad about the girl, but I was in a relationship that wasn't great. You know, neither of us were happy, but we both felt trapped, myself especially. 
But I, you know, that's just, we was in such a comfort zone that the idea of getting out of the relationship was just absolutely terrifying to me. At the same time, I was completely miserable. Mm -hmm. So there's that, you know, and that leads to depression. Then you have anxiety, which trickles in because it's like, Jesus Christ, I'm almost 30 years old and I still don't know what I want to do with my life. You know, I'm unhappy. I'm not in a job that I'm making good money that I, you know, see a lot of advancement with and that I'm happy with, you know, so you start having anxiety come in from there. And, um, you know, it just, it all kind of comes together. It just, it crushes you. Like it just completely weighs down on you. And myself, I had other stuff that was going on stuff from like when I was in my twenties and early thirties, stuff that I had done in my life that just, you know, people would talk tons of shit about me. And in some cases I deserved it. Other times I didn't, but, um, I was very, very sensitive to this stuff. So I really wore it. And it would bother me immensely. And I think all those things together just caused this because um, when it first happened, I was driving down the road. And um, this, was, this was after I had taken what, we were, what I was alluding to earlier. I wasn't even on anything when this happened. I was driving down the road, and I looked off. I think I was driving down Route 12. The sky was like almost purple and green. It almost looked like an LSD, like what you when you see an LSD video, we're supposed to be uh, mimicking that. Mm -hmm. That's what it looked like. I was like, huh, that's like kind of that's kind of yeah, that's kind of cool. <laughs> uh, ironically enough, comfortably numb comes on the radio, huh. Pink Floyd. So I'm driving along, I'm listening to that and stuff, kind of thinking how cool the sky looks. But my thoughts are in a weird place. I'm thinking stuff that I've never really thought before, and I'm like, where is that coming from? I get home, park the car realize I just listened to that song the whole way home, but the radio wasn't on. I heard the whole thing play in my head. <laughs> so that was, that was like when it really, really started. And that actually freaked me out. Like I went in the house and like, I thought there was something wrong with me. I'm like, I got a bad hit or something or whatever. And you know, as time went on, I just kind of started accepting it and kind of started laughing at it yeah. a lot. But that was the, that was like at the most beginning stage. I mean, I don't have any crazy stuff like that happen. That was that was an experience that was at the same time awesome, but at the same time really traumatic yeah. because it completely shattered my entire perception of everything. You start thinking you're crazy, and that's the worst thing you can do. Somebody told me that because I luckily had a friend who's had some knowledge on this stuff, and they said, well, for starters, they're like, you're not going crazy. I know exactly what's going on right now. But if you start telling yourself you're crazy and you go with that enough, you might actually drive yourself crazy. Indeed. So um, that was the hardest thing was, like, trying to just keep myself calm. Be like, all right, dude, there's, you know, there's something bigger going on here. You don't know what it is because you have no experience, but there's other people who are telling you that. You need to trust what they're saying and just relax, which was very difficult to do. But once I did, it got like cake. And that's when I was able to like really start doing some work, stuff like what I talk, you know, things like what I'm talking about in the book, and really like addressing. I think they call it they call it shadow work, like stuff that about yourself that you don't like, addressing that honestly within yourself, you know, and really starting to try to make change and just looking at the world in a different way, being nicer to people. That's right. huge. Yep. Like just like don't be a dick. That's there's some people who you can be a dick to, but that's because they completely deserve it. But for the most part, it's like don't go through your you know, go through your day. Just if, if you can get through the entire day and not be mean to anybody or not do something that's um you know, then that's a pretty good that's a pretty good change. Now I couldn't get through a, two hours of my day without being a dick to someone <laughs> back in the day. So that right there was it was worth it just for that. But um yeah, so I don't I mean going back to to the book, there's stuff that's it, it's about a lot of stuff. A lot of it's personal, a lot of it's stuff that I hope that people can kind of relate to, especially It'd be great if they can relate to like the spiritual stuff, or if it at least starts making them question things. But especially the personal accounts and experiences and stuff, everybody has different experiences. I mean, they all have the same emotions, but everybody experiences different things in their life. So even if they, I don't want them to see any of this stuff like through my eyes. But if there's something that I'm saying that somehow resonates with them, that would be really cool mm -hmm. for me to say, you know, if somebody was to reach out to me and say, oh, you know, that one thing that you wrote, like I had something that connected with me in such a way because I had this and that happen. And, you know, it really just spoke to me. I mean, this is nothing I ever in my life thought that I would say because it was a thought I never had. 
But as I started writing and I started going through the process of doing this book, I'm like, wow, you know, you might actually be able to like help some people with this stuff. And at the same time, do something that you kind of enjoy doing. Yeah. So maybe wake up other third eyes. Yes. That would be, that would be, that would be like the ultimate. Yeah. The reason why you wrote this thing, even if it's one person. Yeah. If I do, if I, if that happens and like actually wakes people up, I could do nothing else for the rest of my life, but knowing that I did that, I'd be cool with it. When do you expect the book out? It's going to be, it's already been printed. Um, I will have my first personal order with my paperbacks and hardcovers this week. It's going to be available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon, probably some other retail outlets as well. But the publisher handled that. Um, I do have a personal stock of them. Some of them I was doing for pre-order. Sell them out of the back of the trunk. Kinda, yeah, kinda. Because <laughs> that, I, then I keep all the royalties. Yeah, exactly. If it goes through Barnes and Noble yeah. and Amazon, I don't get. Um, yeah, you don't get dick on those. No, and no. Like a minimal percentage. I figured if I could make back what I use, what I spent to self-publish it, just in make doing my own sales, like having my own personal stock, whatever comes from like the Barnes and Noble and Amazon sales, that's just like a passive income. Right. When the check comes in, it's like, oh, cool. I wasn't expecting that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, I kind of forgot about it. Yeah, exactly. It just, it, it works for you without you having to do any work. Um, but yeah, I will have, I will have them in this week. And like I said, I was mad because I really wanted to bring a copy in to give to you, but they haven't come yet. I checked the tracking and it's supposed to be delivered to me tomorrow. So, but I'll definitely, um, I'll definitely get you a copy. Yeah. Well, I I, I'm planning on having you back cause I got to cut this short. Oh, okay. And I think we need to, uh, we got to finish. We didn't even scratch the surface. Yeah. We, I'd love we to come really back, didn't even scratch the surface on anything that I really wanted to talk to you about. We just got going. And that's what happens on this. I, I don't plan for anything. I don't have any notes or anything. I'm just like, let's just talk. Yeah, dude, this is awesome. This I'd is love the way to come you, back. This is the way you do it. Well, this is the way I do it. And I tell people not to do it like I do it. I'm, I always tell people to prepare themselves. But for me, I can just sit down and hold a conversation. It's a lot cooler just sitting down and shooting the shit. Yeah, you know, let it, just let it flow naturally. Like, yeah. What's your favorite color? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know. But the... I definitely want to have you back, and especially when the book is out, and we yeah. can really, really get deep and, and talk about you know more psychic experiences. Did any of those psychic experiences get translated into the book? One of them did. Did the it? Woman, well, um, the one I mentioned, Woman on the Mountain. That was directly pulled from an experience that I had, and I'll just I, I'll just explain it briefly. I know we're running short on time here. the The story of it is a guy, the guy meaning you, goes up a mountain. Okay, he knows that there's this woman who lives up on the mountain. Everybody's afraid of her. Nobody wants anything to do with her, you know. But this guy just wants to experience being in her presence, seeing what she's like. So he finds her, starts talking to her. And when he asks her, who are you? Like, you know, what's, what's your name? Who are you? And she just kind of laughs at him and says, I'm you. I'm you. I'm your higher self. And then they just go through this conversation and everything where he's asking her questions and she's showing him the answers. And um, she's like, you know, look out at the horizon. It's, it's at that place that you um, inquired and, you know, basically told the universe what you wanted. And the universe said, okay, I'll give it to you. And you're going to have to work for it, but I'll give it to you, you know, if, if you if you really want it. And, you know, when the person, the person who's representing you goes back, how life-changing that experience was from, well, that was directly pulled from a meditation that I had. Um, and that's actually probably my favorite one in the entire book because it's so personal um, I like to think that was like my Jim Morrison moment, you know? Yeah. <laughs> ride the snake, man. Yeah, man. Ride the snake. I was in the cave with a little, with a little Native American guy for that one. <laughs> that was your Jim Morrison yeah. moment, though. Yeah. Hey, man, if, if you go through, if you, if you spend 50 years on this earth and you only have one Jim Morrison moment, hey, you still had a Jim Morrison moment. That's right. one that a lot of people have. <laughs> I became the Lizard King a couple times. Yeah, yeah. A <laughs> couple times in my life. For sure, buddy. 
Well, hey, Ant, thanks so much for, Thank for, you for doing having this. Me on. Thanks for taking the time. We need to do this again, and we'll set it up after you the podcast, and uh, especially when the book comes out. Absolutely. And I like Absolutely. to you know, help you spread it around a little bit. And I tell everybody, use my platform. That's what it's for. It's for promotions and getting the word out, and whether it's music or art or whatever, whatever your thing is, you know, especially we're all in this together, too. And yeah, this, is a, this is a small aspect. area, man. People, mm-hmm. gotta, people really got to work together and stop being so much, so competitive, worrying about if somebody succeeds eating a little bit more than there. It's like, just work together, man. You can all succeed. There's, exactly. enough, there's enough out there for everybody. Exactly. So. And, yep, here we are in upstate New York. Yeah, living the dream. Living the dream. Living the dream. <laughs> but uh, let me give a shout-out to my sponsors, United Auto Sale, EJA Moving Services, Joey's at 307. I know you frequented Joey's a lot. Best Italian food in Utica, hands down. There's no place even close to Matt. Anthony DeCito's stamp of approval That's right, right. That's He does. He's got the best seafood dishes. It's just the chicken, the, the francais sauce that they have there. When I was talking to his wife one day, she was telling me, she's like, if you have the Francais here, you're never going to want to have Francais anywhere else. Now, I've had Francais in a million places, down in New York City, other places. I've had some pretty good Francais sauce. I can 100% verify what she said. It was hands down the best Francais I ever had. Yeah, he's killing it. Whole nother level down there, too. Yeah. Whole nother level. And he t- I like how he takes, like, the classic dishes and just puts a twist on it and modernizes his things. Yeah. And, and then, plus, he's got the old school. Yeah. Dishes too, so you get the best of both worlds over at Joey's at 307. I love that place. Yep. Uh, shout out to Billy Liquor Guy, Utica Coffee, Saranac Brewery, my attorney Dave Longaretta. If you need some legal advice, give him a call today 315 735 6162. And thank you to ballsyballwash.com. Use promo code members only. Get yourself some hygiene for your groin area. Wash your balls, wash your balls. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony DeCito, thanks so much for hanging today, man. This has been a lot of fun. And everybody else, you have yourself a good day later. Looking to sell your vehicle? Contact the United Auto Wholesale Team. We'll buy it. Old or new? Car, truck, SUV, van? Call to set up an appointment. Then stop in, make the sale, and get instant payment. Sell your vehicle to United Auto's Wholesale Team. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to contribute and help with the cost of producing this podcast, you can hit our virtual tip jar on Venmo at XYTODA. Please subscribe on all our podcast platforms. Follow, like, and subscribe All Things Disruption Network on social media. And visit our website, disruptionnetwork.net.